Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It's your local community radio station. My name is Andy and I will be hanging out with you for the next hour, broadcasting on the lands of the Jagger and Turable people, of course. And today on the show, we are going to be talking about sport. It seems an appropriate time to be doing a Paradigm Shift episode on sport. There's a lot of sport happening at the moment. There's the Women's Soccer World Cup. There's the Men's Cricket Ashes. There's the general uh, footy seasons are coming towards the final series, the conclusion. And if you've been listening to 4ZZZ in recent weeks, you're probably aware that on Sunday, the Recklink Community Cup is happening when Brisbane's community media team, the Brisbane Lions, including a number of 4ZZZ announcers and myself, uh, take on the Rocking Horses, which is a collection of Brisbane's finest musicians slash footballers. It's all happening at the uh, Everton Wolves Field at Inogra uh, this Sunday, uh, 12 to 5 p.m. The whole day goes for, I don't think the game will go for all of that time. At least I'm hoping not. I don't think our training has included that much fitness work. Um, but it will be a very fun day and raising money for a worthy cause, as you will hear, because as part of today's show, I will be speaking to Dave Wells, the CEO of RecLink, to hear about how that organization uses sport to try to uh, include people who are marginalized in our society and try to build up uh, confidence and connectedness and teamwork skills and things like that. It has also, over the years, managed the not-that-simple task of combining the music and sport worlds for the Recklin Community Cup, which happens around the country each year. I'm also going to speak to one of the uh, Recklink players who will be on our opposing side, the Rocking Horses on Sunday, Craig Quatermain, comedian and Aboriginal man, about um, what footy means to Aboriginal people in this country. It is, of course, one of the spheres of our society where Aboriginal people are most uh, prominent. And not just at the elite level does footy mean a lot to Aboriginal people, as we will hear after that, I will be speaking to Abby Boyer, who is an academic from the University of Melbourne, about the Women's Soccer World Cup and what that event and women's sport in general means for 
uh, gender equality and for young girls, things like that. And then finally, I'll be chatting to Andy George, who there's lots of people that play sport in this country, but not many people can say that they were sent to jail for running onto a sporting field. And Andy can... He disrupted an NRL game last year to share the message that maybe we should be doing more about climate change and was sent to prison for his efforts. Um, I talked to him about being part of a long tradition of trying to disrupt sport to get political messages across and also maybe try to question the priorities of our Australian society, which loves sport. Nobody could argue with that. But sometimes maybe loves sport a bit too much at the expense of other things that we could be putting our energy and affections into. Um, so that is what's coming up. And I have timed it because we've got the Recklink Cup coming up and there's a lot of 4 Z people involved and it's a good thing for connecting this radio station with the community in other ways. But I'm very happy to talk about sport. I personally quite like sport. I enjoy playing it and I enjoy uh, watching it as well. And it's such a big part of our culture that actually sport brings out a lot of things that are interesting to talk about. And like everything else, it's political. You know, sport doesn't just happen. There are social factors that influence, you know, the way that we play sport, the way that we follow sport. And so well worth interrogating on the paradigm shift, I would say. So let's get into it. I will start off with my chat with Recklink CEO, Dave Wells. G'day Andy and listeners, I'm Dave, Dave Wells from Recklink Australia, I'm the CEO here and I've been here for a couple of years now and thoroughly love the place. So many of our listeners might not be very familiar with Recklink and what you do, so could you give us a bit of an introduction of Recklink? Yeah, it's a fantastic organisation, we're a national sports organisation, we deliver sport and recreation programs across the country to clients of the community services sector. Uh, but we're not really about the sport, we're primarily about health and well-being. We uh, always work towards better physical health, better mental health and greater social inclusion through delivery of sport and rec programs. So what's some examples of these sport and rec programs that you run? It's a good question, it's pretty wide. We deliver 75 odd different types of programs. So from a, a, a fully fledged football league here in Victoria, which is made up of participants from the drug and alcohol rehab sector, from disability sector and from the homelessness sector. Uh, at, at, at the other end of the scale is kind of one-off programs. They might be walking groups. Uh, we might do uh, walking photography exhibitions. We do a range of uh, online programs, wheelchair yoga, things you can do in your lounge to keep you physically active. Uh, and we do obviously all the mainstream sports, basketball, volleyball, uh, netball, softball, baseball, you name it, we deliver it. Cricket, that's pretty big as well. And what in particular about sport and other outdoor recreation activities do you think is useful for um, connecting people who are marginalised or helping people who are struggling with addiction and mental health and things like that? Oh, we know that physical activity keeps you healthy. I mean, you and I know that from our own lives and from our kids' lives and people around us. Uh, and it's even more so when you're facing a range of challenges in your life. But that's not the only thing it does. It keeps your, your, you mentally fit as well, mentally strong, and it builds a team around you. It builds a group of people and a community around you that you're connected with. 
that are undergoing a similar journey and also helping out. And um, I think that's one of the, the key things. It builds that protective factor around you of other voices saying, you know, is this, is this the right thing to do? And then at its most simple and at its most basic, uh, you know, many of our, our participants are looking for jobs. And you think about what participating in a sport does for that. Helps you to turn up on time, uh, bring the right gear, the right equipment, make a plan, execute a plan as a team. So all of these life skills are taught and practiced through participation in sport and recreation. How many people have been through RecLink's programs over the years? And I guess what kind of results have you seen? Yeah, this is the incredible part of the model, actually. So in the last 12 months alone, it's the end of financial year, we're doing all the reporting and stuff. We had 176,000 participants through our programs, which is a pretty phenomenal number for what is a relatively small organisation. Um, and the success stories are just endless. The people's lives that have been turned around, people who uh, credit RecLink or, or participation in RecLink programs were saving their lives from depression, from uh, all sorts of uh, really difficult mental health situations uh, are significant. We, we wrote a book about it actually called The Power of a Football and that's really just about one of our flagship historical programs which is the Football League which has been running over 30 years and in that book there's uh, 30 odd stories of uh, both participants but also volunteers, coaches and umpires and others whose lives have been changed by participating in RecLink and the rehabilitation and the connection with community just comes through so strongly. It's interesting when it comes to sport and I guess football in particular, there's lots of benefits that we could name from it like physical exercise, uh, teamwork and the satisfaction of seeing your skills improve and things like that. But there's also lots of unpleasant things that are a part of sport often as well like competitiveness and the tribalism of us versus them. And a lot of people, sport carries a lot of baggage from high school or childhood when they weren't very good at it. Um, are these tensions something that you see in trying to do what RecLink does? Yeah, that's a great observation, Andy. Uh, we, we deliver sport in a really different way. Uh, for us, sure, there's still a winning and losing element, but that's not the main thing. Um, participation's the main thing. And, and to, to your point, we deliver sport in schools for kids who won't play in other, in other sport, in other opportunities. Uh, and we go into schools and we deliver it in a way that says you actually don't have to be the best. Uh, you don't have to have a whole developed set of skills to, to participate in this. And we do that in primary schools and high schools. Uh, and our staff are really focused on inclusion and participation rather than on winning and losing. But you're right, sport can... Um, bring out the worst in some people and we certainly you know we we work our way through that from time to time and you get some difficult situations uh where, where you do have to work through that type of thing because that's not what RecLink's about we're really about participation and everyone having a good time and coming together so aside from the usual RecLink competitions there's also the community cup which is taking place this sunday in brisbane with many four triple z personnel out on the field can you tell us a bit about our RecLink Community Cup? Yeah I'm excited about the Community Cup I'll be up there this weekend. Uh, the Community Cup's been running in, in Melbourne for 30 years yeah, and we now replicate it around the country. It's really an opportunity for 
the music and art sector and the radio sector to come together and support Recklink in a fundraiser. It's a, it's a great game between uh, your rock stars and your radio DJs, essentially. Uh, it's a game of football. Uh, sometimes there's some amazing skills on the field, to tell you the truth, Andy. Uh, other times it's just a lot of fun and a lot of hijinks. And people can come along and watch and uh, be a part of the day and, and be a part of fundraising for Recklink and be a part of... Uh, the music that happens afterwards is always music afterwards. Uh, bands are playing, uh, a little concert breaks out, which is fantastic, and we really just have a fun time. So it seems to me that Melbourne is where Recklink has the biggest presence, but uh, Recklink is active in Queensland and Brisbane. How can people find out more if they're interested in connecting with it or volunteering? Yeah, we do have it in Brisbane. You can just jump on our website. You can find the details about Recklink and Hit the contact us and let us know if you want to get involved, that's for sure. Um, up in Queensland, we run an incredible employment program. It's a little bit different. We do use uh, sport and rec within that program to help people learn to work in a team and build all those skills that we've talked about before. Uh, but that employment program gets over 80% of our, our participants get employed within, within six months of being in that program. So it's got some fantastic outcomes. So. We do that, and then we also deliver sport and rec programs. We have uh, a couple of sport and rec coordinators up there in and around Brisbane. And you mentioned Recklink's new footy book. Um, how can people find that? Yeah, so the book's called The Power of a Football, uh, How Football Saves Lives. It's uh, put together by Peter Cullen, who's the, the founder of Recklink Australia, and it's, it's promoted on all our socials and on our website. So if you want to buy it, you can just click there or, or go to the local bookshop. It's in the bookshop as well. Uh, and, and it really is uh, a story of how sport can actually change someone's life. So I'd encourage you to get that and have a read if you're interested in uh, at all in how community sport impacts the world in which we live because it gives a, a much bigger picture as well. All right, thanks very much for chatting, Dave, and we'll see you on Sunday at the game. Thanks, Andy. Talk soon. Bye. We were speaking with Dave Wells, CEO of Recklink Australia, which is an organisation that runs sport programs to try to include people on the margins in our society and try to assist personal development. And now we are going to be talking about Aboriginal people and footy. I spoke with Craig Quartermain, who is going to be running on the field for the Rocking Horses on the at the Recklink Cup, which is happening this Sunday at... Uh, Everton Wolves field at Inogra. And Craig won't just be repping the uh, red, black, and yellow of the rocking horses, but he is also a proud Aboriginal man. So I thought it'd be good to chat to him uh, to hear about what footy means for Aboriginal people in this country. Kat, mind you, my name's Craig Quartermain. I am a comedian based out of Brisbane. And you're also... Uh, footy player, footy fan. What is it that you like about footy? Ah, uh, look, I'm West Australian. It's what we know. It's our game. I'm also an Indigenous Australian, and up in Kununurra, that's what you do. You either play footy or you play basketball. It's the one thing where you can occupy dozens of kids with one ball, and that's uh, kind of that was our babysitter. <laughs> There's a long history and an amazing history in this country of. Uh, the links between Aboriginal people and Australian rules football. Can you tell us a bit about those links and what footy means to Aboriginal people? I mean, I can tell from my personal 
point of view. It was the first thing I ever did that was just fun and I was good at and I got praise for it and so I fell in love with it. Um, culturally, we had our own game, uh, Margaret, which merged with Gaelic football down in Melbourne and then became AFL. And then from a sociological point of view, for us culturally, I mean, it was the first job we could get where we'd get paid more than a white guy. And some of our greatest heroes were people like Polly Farmer, Doug Nichols, and just people that stood up and basically made a name for themselves through this sport. And we could idolize them, the Cracker Brothers. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few, but you know, then you go to modern greats like Buddy Franklin and Andrew McLeod and Adam Goods. You just, it was our avenue for equality. It didn't, you know, it was still a fair way off, but uh, it's the one thing we can, that can't be taken off us. Yeah, it's interesting, I guess there's this rhetoric about footy, you know, lifting up Aboriginal people, and um, it's certainly, like you say, it's sort of, it's closer to a meritocracy than most of our society, <laughs> um, and so... Aboriginal... I mean, it used to be, now it's about what private school you go to. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I wonder, like, growing up in the Kimberley, where there's a lot of great footy players coming out of there, but also there's so much, you know, poverty and social issues and things like that, or do you think footy is it worth the hype of what it does for aboriginal people uh, is it worth the hype absolutely i mean you imagine us without it yeah no it's absolutely worth the hype you're talking about the marketing and the commercial aspect to it probably not so much but uh, there are so many kids that don't have a purpose or anything other than saturday or sunday and for a lot of them it's their only way out it's their only real option. Ideally, that wouldn't be the case, but it is what it is. Ideally, I would prefer it if people in my community wanted to be doctors, and not lawyers, they're gross, but aspire to other careers, but also culturally, that's not really our thing. That's a very much a colonial sort of mindset. You've got to get a big career and earn all this money so you can have this big house on stolen land. But... Um, yeah, as far as what the game provides us, it's good for your soul, as long as you're enjoying it and getting something out of it. And, yeah, I don't see any downside to it, especially in the community. Like you can unite these communities with one oval. A hell of a lot more handy than a church. It's becoming more of a religion, more of actual religion <laughs> in Australia than most I can handle that, man. If you haven't watched the game at the G, then, you, yeah, you haven't had a religious experience. Now, there's also is this history of um, racism and uh, mm -hmm. Aboriginal peoples having to stand up to yep. to racism as well. I mean, how does that feel like linked in with footy and Aboriginal people being so proud of it and so good at it that there's still this continuing like incidence of high-profile racism? I mean, it's just a reflection of society. You know, the, you get to stand up against race. Like Adam Goods does it. And then it finally gets spoken about everywhere else. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the first time Adam got called an ape, you know, just because it happened on a footy field. Like, at least footy provides a platform for people to voice it. And, uh, you know, I had a very interesting experience arguing with people over it, uh, that whole situation, saying, oh, he's just being a sook, which is code for being he's been a mouthy black so-and-so. Um, no, it's just a direct reflection of our society just condensed and when you're told to just bounce bounce the ball and mind you know play your sport shut up stuff like that it's all just code it's all the 
it's all just what actually happens in society. But at least when you're very, very good at a sport in an industry making billions of dollars, you can't be so easily ignored. You know, most of us, you can just step around us. Um, I am funny. I am actually funny. But <laughs> Andy's asking me all these heavy questions, and I'm solving racism. So strap in. This is. Funny. I mean, I, I didn't I tell you that, that beforehand. No, no, I was no, like, yeah, fine. come I, on, tell your jokes. No, I absolutely cover that in my stand-up. I don't know. There, there are definitely jokes to be had. And there's a lot. The things are shifting and changing so often. I coached women's football for a long time uh, back in WA, and that was an eye-opener. The, just the sexual and social dynamics within those that league. I learnt a lot, so yeah. Not all of it's funny, but you do find the funny. Yeah, well, you just said it was the eye opener. I guess in another world of footy, I mean, you came from one marginalised community to mm. see then footy in a totally different culture and way in mm. women's footy. What insights did that give you? Uh, it's emotional. It's I had a, I never had this paternal instinct until I started coaching women's football, and you become really protective and. It's it's hard to watch them get hurt. I mean, it's, it's the same when you but when you coach boys, there's this weird thing with their testicles block their ears, so they don't listen that well. But um, it's yeah, it was definitely one of the most rewarding things I ever uh, got to experience, and I was in before the AFLW, so to see it grow to what it has is amazing. It's kind of crazy to think that even from a a money point of view, these massive organizations just went, oh, well, we've been neglecting 50% of the population. Yeah. We could totally cash in on this. And nah, nothing but good is um, for it. And it's, again, opening up. A lot of indigenous girls are realizing that it's an option. You know, there's a lot of gifted, talented people out there. And, you know, some people like to express themselves physically. All right, well, the Recklink Cup, you're playing on Sunday and you've played before in other states as well. Um, mm. What do you like about the Recklink Cup? <sighs> Look, I'll just fess up now is that the Recklink Cup is it's an amazing event. I love what it does for the community, but also it's, it's just kind of fun uh, playing in a, a, a game that doesn't have any sort of physical stakes. So hopefully no one gets hurt and we're just out there having fun, which is brilliant. But um, I'm not technically, like I'm a, I'm a ring-in. But I've been a, a bit of, I've been a horsey across the country playing in Sydney, Perth, and now Brisbane. <laughs> I'm I'm really happy that the, everyone's been accepting of me because I shouldn't technically be playing. But once you started, then you kind of get brought into the Recklink family, and it's all been very welcoming and brilliant. Met some amazing people, but the support from people that go and attend and raise money for this it's 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 just fun and it, it's. Uh, there's nothing like it. I don't know too many other um, industries or communities that could pull something like this together. All right. Thanks very much, Quarters. Okay, Andy. See you at the game on Sunday. Yeah. I know you won't. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, 102.1 FM. I was speaking to Craig Quartermain about the long-lasting and very strong links between Aboriginal people and Australian rules football in this country, you can watch uh, quarters play against myself and a bunch of other Fortribles that announces this Sunday at the Recklink Community Cup at the uh, Everton Park Wolves football ground. Now, a couple of Indigenous sports people that maybe will become more well-known in the very near future are Lydia Williams and Kaya Simon, who are both part of the Australian women's soccer team, a.k.a. the Matildas, who are currently causing quite a stir playing in the 
FIFA Women's World Cup, which is taking Australia and New Zealand by storm as we speak. And I think it's great to see uh, women playing sport and women's sport getting some of the recognition that has traditionally just been reserved for men. So I thought it was worth delving more into this, you know, to talk about what is the significance of this event and the exposure that's currently having for um, women and young girls in Australia. So I spoke to Abby Boyer, who is an academic at the University of Melbourne and also is a keen follower of the Women's World Cup. I'm Abby Boyer. I'm a lecturer in sport and physical education at the University of Melbourne. And as I understand it, Abby, you are following keenly the Women's World Cup that is currently happening in Australia and New Zealand. That's right. I'm so excited about this. I think it's a real moment in time for the history of Australian sport and women in sport in particular. So the Women's World Cup is certainly gathered an incredible amount of media interest and the crowd attendance records are falling all over the place. This is certainly a kind of unprecedented thing in Australia for women's sport and potentially around the globe as well. Yes, I think it's a real moment in time and we will look back on this as a very iconic period for women in sport in particular for Australia, but just for Australian sport and soccer in general. We are so well placed to perform really, really well and the spotlight on the world stage and the fact that we're breaking all these attendance records, I think that this will follow on to have a great impact for the future of Australian sport and for children in sport. Yeah, I guess that's the the question. Obviously, it's great for the uh, women, the you know select bunch of elite athletes who are in the Australian Matildas team and the other World Cup teams. But I mean, for the average woman or girl in Australia, what kind of positive effects do you see coming from this? I think the amazing and quite unique thing about this team is that we have incredibly high profile players. So playing in the English Premier League, for example, for Arsenal and Chelsea, and they come from such diverse backgrounds. So it might be that we've got a couple of Indigenous players and Caitlin Ford, for example, one of the key forwards I think this is her third or fourth World Cup. She's grown up with Sam Kerr and she tells the story of how her single mum couldn't actually afford to get her to tournaments. And so the community, she sold chocolates and the bus driver would buy her boxes of chocolates for her to be able to afford to get to tournaments and trainings. Those kind of stories speak to children because they can relate to that and it tells them, actually, I can be that. You don't have to be in a special position to be able to get there. Anyone can reach the pinnacle. And I think that message is incredibly powerful. I mean, there's lots of other interests that young girls or young people in Australia might have that encourage um, them to participate and chase their dreams and things like that. Are there particular things about sport that you see as helpful for the development of individuals or communities? We know that for girls, so soccer in its ranking for participation in girls' sport is about fifth and for boys it's second. And the more predominant um, modes of physical activity for girls are dancing and gymnastics and netball. What we do know is that there's an improvement in mental health, not just 
for this moment in time. But as they grow up to be adults, that has a lasting effect. It also has an effect on their possibility for um, engagement in sport as they're adults. So it does have whatever affects them now and improves and increases their participation, that will have ripple effects for their life in the future and ultimately for the well-being of the community, which is what we all want to be able to engage productively with our community in a really healthy and positive way. When you engage in sport, you release those endorphins, but you're also making connections with other members of the community. You're developing resiliency, developing the ability to build relationships, to have a level of accountability, especially in a team sport like soccer. So all of those peripheral outcomes, for a lot of parents, they might put their children into sport, yes, in part to develop those skills and that basic ability but a big part of the reason that people put their children into sport is to develop to develop those interpersonal skills and resiliency and a positive attitude towards physical activity so those elements are just as important and it's definitely not a standalone it's definitely an interconnected part of of what you bring into your life skills and your skill set moving into the workforce, moving into further study, things like that. Now, there are some uh, negative traits about sport and the role it plays in our culture. There's a kind of uh, tribalism around clubs or nations and uh, certainly within uh, sporting competitions, there's a, a kind of competitiveness that can be pretty ruthless. And when you look at elite sport, there's some horrendous behavior in a Really, it's shocking the way some of these people are overpaid. Um, and a lot of these things are people things that people might attribute to the patriarchy. I mean, is there a worry about like women's sport just kind of furthering these values and these kind of traits in our society? Or do you think that getting women involved changes some of these things? I think getting women involved, um, and not just women, but peripheral groups that haven't always been at the forefront of sport. So when we get more funding for sport, then we're able to open up those avenues for greater opportunity and greater access to other community groups. For example, you might see free programs being run for girls, free programs or cheaper programs being accessible for mums to be involved, for culturally and linguistically diverse um, populations for um, the integration, for example, of disability um, and integration into the Olympics in sport, and they're running those at the same time. The more that we open up these avenues, people will opt in. The more people that opt in, the more funding that that attracts, and then it broadens the scope. So when you talk about the patriarchy, that's quite narrow. So if we can broaden that, if we can open that access, then that can only be a positive thing for the broader community um, and our society in general. All right, well, the World Cup is on. Um, do you have any tips or things that people should watch out for or ways to get the most out of the Women's World Cup being on? Look, we're lucky enough in our household because I have two young children um, that we were able to watch the amazing Matildas documentary on Disney. And so as a consequence, my house... The walls in my house are papered with homemade profiles of all the players. So Katrina Gorry, um, Caitlin Ford, 
we're seeing more than just fans of Sam Kerr. Ali Carpenter is a real gun in the team. So looking at all the social media avenues and learning about the players, I think that that really helps to build the momentum and the engagement in this World Cup. So we're so excited we're going to the game. Absolutely can't wait to see how far they can get. Okay, thanks very much, Abby. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. We were talking with Abby Boyer about the Women's World Cup and what this footballing extravaganza means for the women and girls of Australia. Now, so far, it's all been very positive about sport, hasn't it? Um, This show, this paradigm shift, but there's a bit of a cognitive dissonance, I guess, because as much as I love sport, and I've offended many artists by saying this over the years, but I believe ultimately that sport is just another art form, as valid as any other, you know, um, and has lots of positive benefits. But sometimes it does seem that there's something a bit out of balance with how much uh, money and media attention and adulation is given to sport. Um, at the expense of maybe other areas where it could go. And so the last interview, I'm going to talk to Andy George, who um, tried to point this out a year or so ago and by disrupting an NRL game, and he was tackled by security, booed by the crowd, kicked out of the game, and later sent to prison for his efforts. Um, He was later released on appeal, but I thought it'd be good to talk to him about, I guess, trying to infiltrate the spectacle of sport to get other messages across. Hey, I'm Andrew. I um, currently live in Lismore and I've had a few years of civil resistance activities across Australia and organising under my belt. Mm. And today on Paradigm Shift, we're talking about sport and you've got an interesting connection to sport because you're one of not that many people who has actually been sent to prison for disrupting a football game. Can you tell us a bit about this story? Um, yeah, so I guess the story begins when I saw in England the Just Stop Oil protester Lewis uh, cable tie his, himself to the goalposts of a Premier League football game. And... I just loved this little video that they released where he was like in the crowd, the game was taking place in the background and he was like, I don't want to be doing this. I'm shitting myself. And then he goes down and does it. And uh, the video is like really amazing. And the, the disruption is so brief, but it just was so intense and like epic. I was impressed. And then I um, was part of Fireproof Australia, which was a campaign in Sydney um, about getting disaster survivors rehomed and getting us a sovereign aerial firefighting fleet in uh, early 2022. And we had been um, blocking roads weekly for about six weeks and stuff and getting a lot of dis- attention. And I just really wanted to disrupt a football game. I just felt that this attention, um, you know, our culture, our society is in a state of sleepwalking amidst uh breakdown of everything that we love and care for and i don't think that sport should be spared um in getting disrupted and forcing people to look at what's going on and i just thought well you know there's a whole bunch of cameras there it sort of be kind of easy to um be on the tv and all the rest so inspired by lewis in the uk i um yeah just went to this rugby game with one other person and a little extra spice, which I didn't think about too much, was I had a smoke flare and 
um, yeah, after a nervous period, I ran onto the pitch in the middle of the sort of something or other happening when the cameras were all focused in the middle where all the players were. I ran sort of straight into them, lit the smoke flare, soon after got tackled by security and uh, spent 17 days. The next 17 days were incarcerated as a result, but I was glad to get out on the other side. I think it was worth it in some ways. Yeah, you got out um, on appeal in the end, which rightly so, I think. The punishment did not fit the crime. But it, it was interesting, the fact that you got sent to prison for just something so minor, disrupting a football game. But it's like, it really brought out how seriously our society takes football, you know, as this kind of religion. And it, it can't be disrupted by somebody making a political statement like it. I think there was something, a uh, kind of clarity in even the, the shock of your sentence. Yeah, like I was definitely not really expecting that. Um, but, you know, it helped to highlight the ridiculousness and the injustice of our of our world, um, the, a little bit of a backfiring effect in terms of like how much attention that, that got because of that overreaction. But I think just to put it into context, like I had been arrested about four or five times in the previous six weeks, just blocking roads. And then the New South Wales government changed the law to make that a prisonable offence in sort of direct response to us and Blockade Australia. And so the magistrate was referring to the Attorney General's changing of the law when he sentenced me. He was like, you didn't block a road, but you might as well have, more or less. Um, you're a menace. We're going to lock you away. But I'm not fully sure if it's to do with the football itself. I think it was, you know, there was taken into account the the previous weeks uh, yeah there is something interesting about football though politically isn't it and it, it's notable that you disrupted the Cronulla Sharks right which was ScoMo's favorite team and there's this way that politicians kind of use sport to be like see we're just ordinary people we just love sport like everyone no matter what their policies are and how destructive their policies are like the way sport is kind of used really cynically politically. And it was notable that you disrupted ScoMo's team. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, that felt like a good part to it as well. <laughs> yeah, but there was a recent, another disruption of a sporting game in um, WA, disrupted by a pub protester, ran across a AFL game there. And over there, you know, Woodside Petroleum is the sponsor of these football teams and all the rest. So... And he didn't get much of a penalty, which is good. Yeah, there is quite a tradition of disrupting sport games, actually politically. Um, most famously, there was big protests against South African rugby teams in like the 70s and 80s, but even going back to English suffragettes running across the horse race and things like that. Were you aware of that political tradition when you did it? I guess I was aware, but not necessarily like thinking about it too much like it was informed i guess by the more recent stuff as i mentioned just stop oil but it certainly makes a lot of sense i i think and just from my perspective in terms of our society and the the danger that we're all in and the complicity and apathy and all the rest like we need to get everyone as uncomfortable as it is to focus on what's going on and yeah sport is a good place to do it and i'm hoping that there will be more, you know, in the future. You know, it doesn't, getting sent to prison was ridiculous, but like that won't happen, I'd say, to most people. But I think we could just create a culture where it's like, oh, there they are again. 
messages. There's so many messages that need to be heard, you know? And yeah, as you said, like sport used politically as this everyday, I'm a good politician. I watch the footy and this and that stuff. It's like, yeah, a bit weird. All right. Thanks very much, Andy. You have brought a bit of different perspective to a, a show that my other interviews are mostly um, fairly positive things about sport and community, but it is, yeah, it's good to remember, I guess, that the precedence given to sport is sometimes a bit ridiculous. Yeah. And like, just on that note, um, there is this like sort of climate change group within like the AFL professional sports community. And like, these are people who we all know have like massive reach, right? Like massive reach. So many people are watching them and are interested in them. Like what a responsibility they have. And and this climate group, I'm so p- disappointed in what they're doing. They are literally like you go to their website and it's like, okay, we've put some solar panels on the Fitzroy Football Club in Melbourne. And they got like a fancy video that would have cost tens of thousand dollars to like to show it. And I just like, what is going on? Like you're on the same planet. You have such an opportunity. And I know that sports stars are speaking out about other things. And I guess racism is one of them that's really prevalent in the AFL and there's changes happening there perhaps. And it's, it is a political thing that is acted upon. But the fact that like the death of our entire planet isn't something that these sports stars are like courageously speaking out on or advocating for it needs to change. And I think we can make that change happen by disrupting them and creating dialogue through our courageous actions. All right. Thanks very much, Andy, for chatting with us. Thanks, Andy. That is Andy George there talking about his own experience um, taking part in elite sport by the method of running on the field and disrupting an NRL game. And it is a protest action with a great tradition that goes back a long way, as we said. Um, I've a few times been a part of it myself and um, when the Cricket World Cup was in Australia a few years back. I actually was down in Melbourne. I painted a, a cape for my friend to wear as he ran on the field disrupting the game. It said, shut down Manus Island, free the refugees. And you know what? Manus Island is shut. And most of those refugees have been settled after being told that they never would. And I'm not saying it was down to that, but these kind of things just consistently uh, putting messages out there, putting it into the consciousness is how protest works. And so I certainly think it's very valid disrupting sporting games. The most recent one we've seen, I think, was at Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago with some Just Stop Oil protesters um, disrupting the very prim and proper surroundings of Wimbledon. And as always, they were booed and harangued in the media and things like that. But you know what? Um, The climate crisis is more important than the tennis. (laughs) And sometimes we just need a bit of reminding of that because when it comes to the finances and media focus and things like that allotted to it, um, you'd be mistaken for thinking it was the other way around. And we have seen that playing out in the news in the last couple of weeks, actually with uh, the state of Victoria saying they won't host the Commonwealth Games because they can't justify spending so much of the public's money on this elite sporting event. And I think with Brisbane down to host the Olympic Games in a decade's time, 
those are conversations that we should be having as well too of how much of our public money do we want to sink into this thing you know compared to other things that it could be going to and so that's certainly a worthwhile discussion particularly in these times of climate crisis cost of living concerns um yes so disrupting sport it's good good on him but also um Watching sport, participating in it, I think it's all great. And I do encourage you to um, fully enjoy the Women's World Cup that's on at the moment, um, as well as the other elite sport, the um, footy and the ashes and whatever, to enjoy people using their skills that they've been honing over the years and working as a team creatively to get a result. I think, and of course, Playing sport as well brings out so many good things as we've heard from our other interviews today. And one sporting game that I will plug is the RecLink Community Cup, which is happening this Sunday. Maybe I'll see you there. If not, I'll see you next Friday, same time on your radio. Hope you've enjoyed the Paradigm Shift's little venture into uh, the back page realms of the sporting world. And I'll see you next week.